0: Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian
1: Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger.
2: The Canadian Investor Pod. It is March 26th. It's Friday afternoon. The sun is shining. Simon, how we doing?
3: I'm doing well. It's not uh, definitely not shining over here, but I'm doing very well.
2: Well, maybe that's because the Leafs beat the Senators last night, so maybe that could be a reason for that.
3: I mean, um, could be uh, like uh, you I, have
2: no I, horse in that race. So. You no, know, I'm
3: a I'm a Habs fan, and they've been you know they're getting closer to playoffs even while being in quarantine because uh, Calgary and Vancouver are problem they look like they have no idea how to win hockey games so but uh, you're still in the playoff race with now like four, five or six games in hand over both of them so
2: it's all getting very interesting okay speaking of canada can you talk about cp rail this is a this is a blockbuster we've had two weeks of blockbuster deals now with mergers
3: yeah yeah, it's uh, it's a big deal. So, uh, Canada, Canadian Pacific CP Rail uh, is looking to acquire a Kansas City Southern. Um, so they're two of the smaller player when uh, smaller players when it comes to the railroad industry. Um, the deal is interesting because it would give them coverage altogether from east to west to Canada, and then. Um, all the way into mexico so it would give them a lot more coverage and uh, should help in terms of the competitive advantage versus uh, some of the other major players like Can- canada uh, canadian national rail cnr um we'll see whether it will be approved or not so they're there's a history of merger attempts in that space that have been declined by the various governments involved. And even CP is still unsure uh, whether it will be approved or not. Uh, they're saying they should have final regulatory approval by uh, mid-2022. So it kind of shows that even them, um, they're not 100% sure. But it is a major deal. It's $29 billion in uh um, the the value of the deal itself um, i'm assuming that's in u.s dollars i don't have it in front of me but um, yeah it's a it's a big deal it'll be interesting if it goes through or not though yeah
2: yeah it's huge and it creates the first canada u.s mexico uh, rail network so that that provides that's very accreditive to cp so i mean that's pretty cool
3: Yeah, exactly. And it should help shippers in general, because right now there are agreements between CP and Kansas City Southern. But uh, um, because there are still two different companies, oftentimes there are going to be some delays between those transitions. So um, um, we'll see whether it's approved or not, but uh, definitely something interesting.
2: And rail is good, man. Rail is good environmentally. If you look at like tons of greenhouse gas per the weight that it moves, rail is very clean compared to the alternatives and it won't get stuck in a canal no is, that, that's is it too right. soon
3: yeah, yeah too like, soon for yeah. the
2: suez canal
3: could still derail but uh yeah it's uh yeah,
2: yeah it could derail
3: have yeah, you that, seen the that, pictures that, uh the satellite pictures how they show the boats that are waiting uh, to get in It's yeah it's insane it's yeah. wild yeah
2: and it's wild Yeah, if you're, if you're not familiar with the, the story that's happening it I guess you're living under a rock, but there is a, a very large boat that is currently sideways in the Suez Canal, and it's causing all kinds of issues. All right, let's, uh, let's switch gears. It's mailbag day, so we have a bunch of questions. Thanks for people who have submitted those, and we will be answering them today on the show. Uh, really quickly, before we do that, I've been getting lots of wordage from new investors calling this market volatility a crash and I really just want to kind of give some context to people I do not think this is a market crash I mean things can you experience a real market crash and you'll you'll know Uh, there's a pullback and a contraction in some multiples especially You know, the software as a service, 50 times sales crowd, those ones are coming back a lot and it might be well warranted, but stocks have done so exceptionally well that, you know, something that's 50% off the highs, but still up 200% on a trailing 12 month basis, you know, that is really good performance. So broaden your view a little bit, manage expectations um, and realize that the only thing normal is that stocks are volatile. So, just really quick before we before we get into the mailbag, because I'm I'm seeing some words about a crash, and I, it's just we're just not there. All right, so uh, let's roll the first question from Kai, uh, and uh, yeah, so you, you'll hear the recording of some of our fans. We appreciate you guys a lot. And then we'll, uh, we'll answer them. So
1: here we go. Hi, Braden and Simone. Big fan of your show. Um, so this question is more for my dad. He's getting close to retirement. Um, He's was looking for some ETFs and index funds to invest in, preferably Canadian, but open minded to US ones as well. Um, what would you recommend? Thank you.
3: Okay, Kai. Well, that's a great question. So, um, and that's great that you're uh, you're helping your dad. That's uh, close to retirement and. The fact that he's looking uh, for some ETFs or index funds, uh, preferably Canadians. Um, So depending how close he is to retirement, the first thing I would say is a good practice will be to at least have two or even three to five years of living expenses in low risk assets or even cash equivalents. So the reason behind that is you want some... Uh, guaranteed money if you'd like for your living expenses because that will give you a buffer it'll give your dad a buffer in terms of if there's a significant market correction because if he's a hundred percent invested in equities um, that could be a really dangerous game especially when you're close to retirement and you need that money for for living expenses um, the problem with that right now is fixed income is not very attractive because of low interest rates. Um, bonds are not yielding all that much, um, even when you look at corporate and even like junk bonds, junk bonds, which I would not recommend. Um, one of the things you can look into, um, they're called uh, it's a product called market-linked GICs. I think I've probably. Talked about that before. Um, So, what market link GICs are? They're guaranteed investment certificates. So, they're like they're GICs. Um, They basically vary depending on the market returns. So they're linked to a specific sector of the market and Depending if the market goes up or down your return can actually increase Usually there's going to be a cap though on the total returns that you can get Um, And there's also a floor. So usually you'll have at least your capital back uh, But if the market doesn't perform well during that period of time, you'll get like almost zero interest so that is a bit of downside there, but considering what you can get in other types of uh, fixed income products um, that may represent a bit more upside so there might be some interest right there um, so when it comes to your specific question in terms of ETFs, um, there's a lot of ETFs that are really interesting out there. A lot of low-cost index funds as well. Um, so I'm gonna suggest a few, but by all means, do your own research. And there's some. Um, sometimes it's just keeping it simple is the best approach. And I know Brayden um, will have a few things to add to that as well. Um, it may be a good idea though to diversify outside of canada especially if your dad will be uh, you know collecting his pension from an employer in canada canada pension plan so cpp uh, if he owns a house in canada so a lot of it is linked to canada itself so in those cases it, it's a good idea to diversify a bit more whether they're u.s based companies or canadian based company that do businesses um, in the u.s or around the world and same applies to uh, the u.s companies so some canadian etfs to look into. Uh, but again these are just examples and uh, make sure if you select more than one ETF make sure you look at the top holdings and make sure they don't overlap Um, so one to look into a couple to look into in Canada is uh, VCN.TO that's the Vanguard Canada all-cap index uh, very low uh, fees 0.05% VUN.TO US total market uh, 0.15 fees percent. Uh, VRE.TO, that's the Canadian REIT index. So if you want a bit more focus in real estate, um, that one is a bit higher in fees, so 0.35%. VAB.TO is a mix of corporate slash government bonds. So that's also, if he's looking a bit more at fixed income, uh, low fees as well, so 0.08%. So these are all fairly low fees. Um, And then in terms of U.S. ETFs, a few to look into is the IVV, I shares so that's a SP 500 index fund super low fees 0.03 uh, percent and then the igbl those are i shares 10 plus years investment grade corporate bonds etf again very low fees at 0.06 percent so those are just some examples by if you look at vanguard or even uh, blackrock you'll see they have a whole list you can sort usually by um, fees, if you'd like. Um, and like Brayden, all, I think it will say is, um, you know, a couple of basis point in difference in fees is not the end of the world. Obviously, if you have one that's 0.05% versus one that's 1%, uh, that's a big difference. Um, but Braden, do you have anything to add on that?
2: Yeah, so when it comes to ETFs, my number one recommendation is just don't overthink this because it's so easy to overthink this and you'll be pulling hairs over something that just really is not important because what might be the lowest management expense ratio that mer number we talk about this year might be you know the second lowest next year and it's not worth switching them out for like a 0.8 Zero one percent change, or what some people call basis points, which is basically just zero point zero one percent. So, like, if one is a one basis point better the next year, like, th- it like it really is not going to perf- affect your performance very much. That's so little. Um, so, the ones I use for buying U.S. stocks on the TSX is XUU, the iShares Total Market ETF. Uh, for Canadian stocks, XIC, which is the uh, iShares TSX Composite ETF, again, those are both listed on the TSX, and these are the iShares ones. I mean, uh, Simon mentioned the Vanguard ones. Again, just just pick one. It does like it. It's the same product. Don't overthink this. It's really the same product. Um, if you want to buy U.S. listed U.S. stocks in U.S. dollars, what a tongue twister! I like VTI from Vanguard or ITOT from iShares. Again, they have a MER of 0.03%. It's the same product. Their total market, so they own you know thousands of stocks. You're instantly diversified. You could just own that and go to sleep. Um, again, don't really don't overthink this because a lot of these products are identical in nature. They just have a different name, so um, don't split hairs over it. All right, uh, Derek from Montreal. Let's roll this one.
4: I'm Derek, a finance student in Montreal. So, just to put it in context, I got my mom out of the grip of her financial advisor. He was charging about 2.4% fees. Uh, so, now that her funds are in her brokerage account, uh, we're wondering uh, what to do with it. So, me, I think that markets are overvalued. Uh, I'm looking for a more passive investment for her, but she's getting a little bit impatient. She wants her money to be placed right away. So I have two questions. Because I think the markets are overvalued, should I wait or start dollar cost averaging in index funds or ETFs? And uh, my second question is, if we decide to wait, which financial instrument do you recommend that offers some return for close to no risk and very high liquidity? So when the time comes, uh, my mom and I can just jump on an opportunity uh, Warren Buffett style. Thanks so much for your answer. And I really love the podcast. Keep it up. Goodbye.
3: Well, first of all, Derek, um, congratulations on getting your uh, mom to ditch your financial advisor who was charging 2.4%. Um, I went through the exact same situation with my parents uh, three, four years ago. And I think right there, it's uh, just a great thing saving on that 2.4%, which can make such a huge difference over several years. And my. Not... Especially if
2: they're closet indexing. I yeah. just want to add that. Yeah, exactly. Especially if they're closet indexing because they're doing the strategy we just talked about and charging you 2.4%. I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting financial advice. It's, you know, that's just bad value for money if they're going to be closet indexing, which is just buying index funds for you. And we see that so often. So I just want to chime in on that.
3: Yeah. And even if they're not closet invest in uh, indexing, they might have a fund that the fund manager is just not that good either. So you have to keep that in mind, but just getting rid of those fees, um, because if you're using an index fund, chances are you're saving about 2.3% of that 2.4%. And based on the answer we just provided and some of the uh, uh, you'll, you'll understand that. Right. Um, So in terms of, know thinking the markets are overvalued or not and should you DCA so you have to be careful in terms of saying if the market is overvalued or not because if you're using traditional metrics um, of course the market is looking overvalued right now Um, there is a risk though in waiting on the sidelines because um, especially in the current environment that we are with the super low interest rates um, you may have a lot of trouble finding investments uh, that will be able to perform as well as stocks or equities right now, even if they look overvalued. Um, There's a couple of ways you could do that um, to address those concerns. So you could DCA over a longer period of time with smaller installments. So that would lower your variance. Um, So you could do that over, for example, if you have $100,000, you could do it $10,000 increments every month over a 10 month period. You could do it five thousand dollars increments over a twenty month period. There's different real different ways you can go about it. The longer you go with a DCA, though, there is an additional risk that the market could still be going up and then you only, your mother only has a small portion of the money invested in the market. So you have to kind of create a good balance for that. Um, You know, something to look at in terms of passive investments, uh, some of the funds that we just mentioned, uh, Brayden mentioned a few, a toll market index, um, XAW.TO is a toll market index fund that's uh, quite interesting. uh, but do your research. I mean, there's a lot of passive investing vehicles out there that are low fees. Um, and like we just said, keep it simple and don't worry about a few basis point when it comes to, to selecting a product and just kind of you set it and forget it when it comes to passive investing. Um, in terms of your second question, if we wait, uh, is there a good something that provides a low risk with a. Uh, good returns low risk high liquidity Um, if you know of a good vehicle that provides that please let me know because i don't really know of any right now Um, but having said that um, i'm kind of joking a little bit but the thing that probably makes the most sense here is just a high interest savings account and you'll probably get one to one point five percent annual interest rates on that which is most likely negative returns when you compare it to the inflation. Um, So there is some risk of holding too much cash. Um, The last thing you could do is kind of a balance of both, right? You could do a dollar cost average strategy over a smaller period of time and then keep a 10, 15, 20% uh, more in cash so your mother can actually pounce on Um, the market if there's a pullback and a correction i mean i know it's not ideal um, but right now there's just not that many options in terms of offering a lot of liquidity and low risk fixed income is at record lows um, and that's just a reality so there's different ways you can kind of edge that risk though Um, brayden any comments on that
2: yeah so uh really quick just two quick things I uh, heard you say you want to buy something that gives you returns with no risk. Unfortunately, that's a, a mythical creature, a fairy tale. It just doesn't exist. And so if you know, if, let if us you, know. If, yeah, if you find it, you know, you already know how to leave a message. So you know, use that button again and let us know. Um, and that the other the other point is dollar cost averaging or DCA. It's proven time and time again. That is the most effective way to run a portfolio uh, for the long term, because you know trying to time the market is a complete waste of time, a complete loser's game. No one has able to successfully do it uh, consistently. So, um, yeah, just let's. It's just a manage expectations thing here for me. Okay, uh, George, roll the question, and. Uh, We'll let you know what we think.
4: Hello, guys. My name is George, and I'm from uh, Europe, Greece. So forgive my pronunciation. I hope you understand me well. Um, well, basically, I work in the computer science sector, so uh, I can understand technology sector. But I've been looking for, um, for uh, some uh, screening techniques concerning the consumer defensive sector, uh, which is completely different. Uh, from the uh, technology sector and uh, I really love your show and uh, I'm looking forward to listening to your answer. Thank you guys.
2: Okay, first off, we have listeners in Greece for the Canadian Investor Podcast, which is incredible. Uh, so thanks for the support, yeah. George. That is that is awesome. He left a couple questions and he said it was his favorite podcast. So uh, we're feeling pretty good about that.
3: Yeah, thanks a lot, George. Yeah.
2: Okay, so not to like pump my own Uh, business here too much but stratosphere does have a screener that i use to do this exact thing by the exact industry and it gets you can drill it down really really specifically um so a a, a business like consumer defensive um when it comes to consumer defensive businesses look for really high moat established businesses that have been consistently producing results for a long time. Like I'm talking like decades Um, and they want to, you want to see that they've been increasing revenue like over time, like clockwork. And if there's a, if they're a lasting business in this area that has been able to demonstrate that over time growth of earnings, revenue and cash flow, they're probably doing it from accredited acquisitions so you'll see a lot of these consumer uh, defensive names be large holding co's of various brands. Um, so they're doing accretive acquisitions, and then they're continuing to flex their pricing power over time. Uh, you know, matching inflation and and then some over time, and that's that's really what you want when you own one of these names. Um, that's a good place to start for rock solid businesses that have, you know, defensible positions. They have patents, they have valuable intellectual property and branding. They perform well in every environment. Um, so I don't have too much to add more than that. Just look at their financial statements over like a long period of time, um, and see, you know, have they been able to do that again? A lot of these businesses, not all of them. A lot of them have been from accredited acquisitions, building that brand into a hold go, flexing that pricing power, and they have reliable revenue and cash flow in every environment just from the nature of the business. So think like grocery store versus something very cyclical. Um, And if you want this to be a, a good, boring, but effective portion of the portfolio, then that's a pretty good place to be um especially if they're able to flex some pricing power over time um these are you know the dividend aristocrats of the world and uh yeah they there could be a, a you know a good place for them in your portfolio given you said you work in tech so um yeah I nothing really more to add there uh do you have anything there Simon
3: um n- no not too much the only thing i would say most of them uh so especially consumer uh non-discretionary um you'll see most of them uh like brayden said i'll be dividend payers uh so make sure you keep an eye on the payout ratio when you look at those and um the moat is really important because some of them are facing more and more competition um you can just ask warren buffett what uh you know how that kraft heinz uh, acquisition worked out for berkshire and uh, yep. <laughs> which was supposed to be one of those and they um it's, it's not gone really well. So that's uh, probably my two cents, but everything else Braden said, uh, I would agree with. Yeah.
2: And that's a good example of, you know, even something that seems like such a staple and reliable as Kraft Heinz saw, huge drawdowns. Unfortunately, there's two lessons there. Uh, every business has volatility and risk. Uh, those aren't the same thing. Volatility and risk are the same thing, but every business has them. And that too, even the GOAT, Warren Buffett himself makes some mistakes sometimes. Some things that are impossible to foresee. So there's two learning lessons there. You're gonna make mistakes. It's normal. And uh, the only thing you can do is learn from them and, and be better over time. So uh Devin. Devin's got a question. We're getting lots of ETF questions today, but hey, I mean that's important. I I love that people are taken uh, adv- taking advantage of these instruments because they just—they're really not that new in Canada. I think Vanguard Canada was like 2013 launched their first TSX-listed U- ETF. Don't quote me on that, but that's about the vintage. So realistically, it's—it's it's fairly new uh, and very good compared to paying those two and a half percent mutual funds that people used to get hosed on. Okay, Devin, let's hear it.
1: Hey guys, this is Devin from Calgary. I would like to buy an S and P 500. ETF in my RRSP and I need to decide between a US dollar ETF or a Canadian hedged ETF. It looks like the US dollar ETF has significantly outperformed the Canadian hedged ETF over 10 years. How much of this is due to a weaker Canadian dollar and how much is due to lower fees in the US dollar ETF? Do you prefer investing in US dollars or Canadian hedged dollars when you have an option? Thanks.
3: Okay, so that's uh, that's a really good question in terms of investing in a Canadian hedge ETF versus a non-Canadian hedge. Um, so there's actually both are available on the TSX. And just to break down to people, just to wrap their head around what hedging means in terms of currency, a really good example, and we will probably make a few hockey references over here, but uh, let's say my favorite team, Montreal Canadiens. Um, so they get uh, most of the revenues in Canadian dollar, but the salaries that are paid to players are in U.S. dollars. So there's a big discrepancy on the revenue that they get versus uh, the money that's paid out because a big part of their expenses is obviously sa- players' salaries. So one of the ways that they can actually... Um, create some certainty in uh, their expenses is they'll hedge the u.s dollar so they'll basically lock in a rate in advance to make sure that they have certainty in their expenses Um, that can play to their favor but it can also be Um, A disservice as well. It really depends how the Canadian dollars is acting versus the US dollars So um, that's really what you need to understand when it comes to currency hedging That's probably the the biggest thing to understand right there Um, like you said traditionally and I pulled some uh, just a few graphs on Yahoo Finance and I use the uh, VSP.TO and VFV.TO VSP is the one that's hedge and the other one it's not hedge and over the long run the uh, non-hedge one has actually like you said performed quite better but then if you look at the past year it's interesting because the hedge one has performed better and that's a simple explanation because uh, the canadian dollar has actually uh, gotten stronger uh, versus the us dollar over the past year so what happened is that the um, the Canadian dollar, the fact that it's gotten stronger, the hedging actually came into play right there, whereas um, the non-hedge version, which you know, the stocks are all denominated in U.S. dollar because the U.S. dollar has gone down in value. It's actually affected the value of the, the ETF itself. Uh, but over the long run, I mean, it's hard to argue with the, the returns of the non-hedge version. I mean, it all depends um, really how it's going to be acting going forward. Uh, but um, yeah, if we, we look historically, it looks like it's really the, the non-hedge version that has the um, the edge or no pun intended, The edge on that. Um, And uh, the fees that you were referring, I don't think that's really going to make a huge difference. It's really the hedging here. Um, Brayden, anything else to add on that?
2: Not really. Uh, I'll just say that trying to predict currencies is a loser's game. Be cautious when anyone tries to tell you that they know where the Forex rates are going I see these scams all over the internet. They're a complete joke. They bother me a lot. Um, it's just impossible to predict. And if anyone was able to reliably predict them, just just like market timing, uh, they'd be worth a, a lot more money than they currently are. So, just just take that into a, into account. I personally would own the non-hedged one. That's what I've done in the past. Me too. It's, it's yeah. been the right. it be, it's been the right call. But that doesn't mean I'm right because. Like I said, moving forward, trying to predict which one's going to outperform the other one is kind of silly. Uh, so go with whatever you feel is right. I think owning the non hedge version is right. But again, that's just my opinion. Um, so nothing more to add there. Uh, we got another question here. kind of relates to currencies, so I can expand more on that thought again here. So uh, Brian, let's hear it, man.
0: Hi guys, Brian here from Ennismore, Ontario. I want to start some positions in US stocks. Letting Questrade do the currency conversion would cost me about $1 per $100 US. So since I want about a thousand US, I decided to try Norbert's Gambit and save about five bucks. I purchased a little over $1,300 Canadian of the DLR.TO EFT, and then used chat to instruct Questrade to journal those units over to DLR.U.TO. That all worked flawlessly. However, today I see that my position in DLR is down about 12 bucks in two days of trading. My question is, and I don't think I've ever heard this discussed, is it possible for my purchasing power in dollars in US dollars to decrease based on movement in the market value of DLR.to while I wait for the journaling to be completed? I'm not sure how DLR EFT works and would appreciate your insights. Thanks.
2: Yeah, so this relates back to the previous question on currency. This can happen with the market value of DLR and DLR.u. Those are the Horizons ETFs that you use to do Norbert's Gambit. Um, And how CAD and USD interact is basically why you're going to see a difference in those spot prices. But this can happen and... But it can also happen the other way. Like I've been lucky, to be honest, that I've made a little bit of money on the on the settlement dates, like those two days with currency changing. But at the end of the day, if you're moving a large sum of money to U.S. dollars, you save the two percent on your brokerage fee on the spread when you move it to, from CAD to U.S. dollars. So you can't predict the currency movement. And what you can focus on that is in your control is minimizing that 2% fee and not paying it at all by by using Norbert's Gambit. And that's what I do. So if you've never used Norbert's Gambit, it's an absolutely elite way to convert U.S. dollars uh, – con- sorry, to convert your CAD into U.S. dollars within your brokerage. I have a full guide blog post completely for free. Uh, we'll link that in the show notes. It's it, – the guide is for questrade like the uh the screenshots are for questrade but you could do the exact same thing with your brokerage and um yeah it's if you're moving a fair bit of money i would personally do it again you could get unlucky on currency conversions but trying to predict that i mean you're just never going to get it right so don't spend a second worrying about it and focus on what you think is the right move at the time and Perhaps it's an orbital gambit.
3: Yeah. And you said, I think the best word you use was lucky when it worked uh, worked out your way. Exactly. Pure luck. Exactly. And what you really can control is the fees right here. And the higher the amount that you're converting, the bigger the advantage will be uh, compared to um, using what Crestrate is, is offering or whichever your brokerage form is, uh, firm is offering. Uh, but yeah, it really can go both ways. It's too bad that it didn't go the right way for you. But, you know, you might do it again. and might Turn out to your advantage.
2: Yeah, well put. Moving on, Kami from BC. Uh, she's got another question here. Let's uh, let's see this one.
0: Hey guys, it's Kami from British Columbia. I had a question today about bonds. So I just recently started a position in some equities ETFs as well as the BMO Aggregate Bond ETF ticker ZAG.TO. And I thought stocks and bonds usually behave differently, but I'm seeing this ETF go down, and I was wondering if the same basic advice, like buy low, sell high, dollar cost averaging, no matter what, even if it's going down, and you know you can't time the bottom, still apply when it comes to bonds. Thank you so much, guys. Bonjour, merci.
3: Well, thank you for your question, Kemi. Uh, So it's definitely good to be talking about bonds, especially right now, because uh, they're low, uh, definitely lower than they have been historically in terms of yields. But it's definitely a good thing to be approaching bonds in a similar fashion to um, equity ETFs or equity index funds. and do a dollar cost average approach. That's always good. Uh, bonds can definitely go down or up in value. It will usually be tied to the interest rates that are being offered on the market. So just an easy example to wrap your head around that. So if you have for ex- um, a yield uh, of 10% and you're investing $100, then your interest for the year will be $10 that you'll receive. Now, if the yield on the market has gone down to 5%, you'll still receive $10 in interest, but the value of those bonds will actually double to $200 to equal that 5% yield. So if you actually go on the market and sell it, you'll get more for your original investment. And then you can have the other way around where you have a $200 investment, you get $10 interest for the year, you get a 5% uh, yield, and then, yield rates actually interest rates go up to 10 percent then you'll actually have your value will go down to a hundred dollars still get that ten dollars per year but uh, the yield will be up to ten percent because that's what the market demands so that's how bond funds and uh, typically uh, even treasury bonds will react they'll actually react compared to what the market is offering in terms of interest so that's how they'll increase or go down in value if you're actually investing in um, treasury bonds for example whether it's uh, the canadian government or the u.s government um, there's kind of two ways to make money with bonds so you can make money by selling them if the price increase because typically um, you'll have a pretty high yield on your uh, original investment and then if the yield goes down the value of your bonds go up uh, you you can do that you can sell it or you can just wait to maturity and get get your principal back and get the interest payments for the whole duration. So there's kind of two ways to, to make money on bonds. Uh, again, you can still use a lot of the same principles uh, that uh, that you mentioned. So dollar cost average to minimize the volatility, but typically bond funds will be less volatile than the uh, equity uh indexes or equity funds. Uh, But over the long term, uh, just keep in mind, I don't know how old you are, but uh, bonds tend to not perform as well as stocks. So keep that in mind. I'm not saying not to be uh, into bonds at all, but just keep that in mind, especially if you have a super long horizon uh, to invest. You may want to keep a smaller bond allocation in your portfolio um, in terms of zag.to it's a good uh, bond index fund there's a lot uh, It's a, a lot of uh, government related bonds so i think it's about like 65 70 percent mix between provincial federal and municipal bonds and then there's some c- corporate bonds sprinkled in there so um, that's that's what you have uh, when you're investing in that uh, index fund index uh, bond fund Anything else, uh, Braden, to add?
2: Yeah, two two things, and this might not relate exactly to the question, but more so about bond ETFs. Uh, so, bond ETFs, interesting things can happen, right? Because because they are ETFs, they are listed like equities. You know, they're exchange traded funds. So they can trade off the NAV, off, off that net asset value. And I've seen them trade at like a pretty deep discount to the NAV last year. Um, so because they can trade different than the actual net asset value of the bond fund, you can see more volatility than you're hoping for when you own something like bonds. So a bond ETF is kind of an oxymoron when you think about it, uh, Simon. <laughs> it's a bit of an oxymoron because, you know, they're these bonds, but they're trading as these vehicles which are ETFs. So, I, I it wouldn't be how I do it personally, but this is one of the one of the one of the cons of using an ETF is you can see more volatility than you probably should because it can trade at a discount to the net asset value or what you might see on the the fact sheet as a NAV. Um, and then another, just kind of unrelated, when I was 18 years old and I set up my TFSA and it was like a kid on Christmas because I could finally do that. I was just basically going off what I saw on the internet. I was buying these ETFs. I was like, oh, this is so great. Uh, and it was great. It was awesome. But I did like an 80-20. So I had 80% stocks and 20% bonds. Now, I if I could talk to my 18-year-old self saying, what the hell are you doing owning 20% of your portfolio in bonds at 18 years old? You have such a long horizon You can withstand volatility, be 100% in equities. Uh, That's what I would say to myself. So something to consider. Again, this podcast is not financial advice, but that's what I would say to my 18-year-old self is what the hell are you doing in bonds, man? So thank God I figured that out pretty
3: quickly. Yeah, and I'm fully in equities too, so I totally agree with that. And I'm a little older than you, but um, the one thing I would definitely caution people and goes back to what you were saying earlier. Remember when you said some people are asking you about, oh, is this like a market crash and things like that? And just keep in mind how you react when there are uh, some possible corrections to the the market. And if you think you're going to panic if you're 100% in equities, then that might be a sign that you need a little more exposure to something that might be less volatile. Um, Again, less volatility doesn't mean better returns, but it may actually be be good for you in the end because it would avoid that panic and potential kind of sell action right so that's probably the one thing i would i would caution like braden and i are pretty like we don't get rattled at all if the market that goes down 15 20 30 40 percent get excited exactly but not everyone's like that and make sure you're you're aware of how you react and especially if you were investing last march um and just remember how you reacted did you panic did you sell um and keep that in mind and if you did panic and sold a big chunk of your portfolio then maybe you'll want a bit more fixed income to uh to kind of not set that panic again if we have another correction like that
2: all right moving on we got a question about payments from juan um let's uh let's roll that and then simon i'll uh, hear your fiery hot takes first you're looking at me on the Zoom. Okay, I'll take my fiery hot takes first. All right, here we go, Juan. Hey, guys. uh, Quick question regarding mobile payment companies. Um, I'm looking to get into the game, get into that uh, that sector. Um, Would you guys recommend just holding, for example, iPay, uh, an ETF that holds MasterCard, Visa, Square, PayPal, American Express, etc.? or just going for, you know, just buying shares of the individual companies. Um, would love to hear your input. Thanks, guys. All right. So he's talking about the I pay ETF, 0.75% uh, expense ratio on this thing. So to me, when I see ETFs that, you know, they're sector related or they're like a secular, this one I would say like as a secular trend ETF, which is, Payments, digital payments. I think it's called mobile payments. Is the ETF name? Is digital payments in my mind? So, let me just read off the top ten holdings. They're all, all they vary from about six percent to three percent. Mastercard, Fidelity National, American Express, Visa, PayPal, Fiserv, Square, Aiden Global Payments Inc., and Discover Financial. So you got the the big uh, credit card payments. They got, um, you know, Fisser is a very cool company. Square and Aiden are very cool companies. You know, do I love this basket? Yes. And would I just own them on their own? Probably. And that's that's what I do. And I know Simon, you're aligned on this as well. Now, I I do back the idea of. You want to get your feet wet in some secular trends, so you buy some ETF. While you do, maybe some more research. You figure out what you want to do. I back that, um, but at the same time, there's not that many names in this ETF, and you can probably just go with like the basket approach and own you know, four of them equally weighted or something like that. That's what I would do. I mean, these are these are a lot of these are really great companies. Some of them some of them greater than others. Aiden is like public-listed European Stripe. So that got me interested. Uh, but you know how I feel about Stripe. So I feel like I'll be cheating on Stripe if I buy some Aiden shares. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think we've talked about this this exact question before.
3: Yeah, we definitely talked about iPay in uh, some of the early episodes. Um, yeah, I'm personally, I own a basket of them. And I think that's a really good approach and doesn't have to be uh, just like three or four you can own like uh, six or seven if you'd like Um, the IPay is definitely good if you want broad exposure to uh, the payment space and you really don't want to pay much attention to it Um, does the manage the expense ratio of 0.75 percent is not cheap though so that's kind of on the higher end Um, that's definitely one of the reservations I have with that and there are some names that I don't love as much uh, specifically American Express because it is a bank. Um, of course, Berkshire Hathaway owns that, uh, but that is one of the names I don't love as much. And uh, Discover Financial Services, another one I don't really, really love. And both of them repre- represent 9% uh, part of that ETF. So keep that in mind. But again, I don't think you can really go wrong. There's enough of the concentration with some of the bigger names, whether you're looking at MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, Square, they're all in there and they have some pretty good... Uh, pretty good exposure to those. So um, I really don't think you can go wrong overall with uh, either the ETF approach or the basket approach, like Braden said.
2: Yeah, at 0.75%. Just just own the names individually. Unless you're just moving a really small amount of money, then maybe you want to go the ETF route. All right, let's move on. Uh, we got Andrew. He's got a question for us about gaming. Uh, let's fire this one off
1: and I'll take the lead on it. Uh, Hi, Braden and Simone. It's Andrew from Ontario Calling. Uh, Right off the top, guys, I want to say thank you so much for all information you've been giving your listeners. Uh, I'm sure they'd agree with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. I've personally learned a lot. So thank you so much. Anyway, I wanted to call you guys about SLGG, is the ticker, Super League Gaming. Um, This stock in the past week, as of March 4th, um, has just popped right off. It's already a bagger for me. I got it around three. It's now almost five and a half, six. Like, it's actually crazy. So, I was just wondering what you guys thought about the gaming space in general. Uh, Maybe some good um, ETFs in Canada or America that would be interesting choices. And specifically, Superleaf Gaming, SLGG. Thank you kindly for all your help, guys. Again, uh, you guys have a great day. Go Leafs, go.
2: All right, so we got a Leafs fan, so go Leafs, go. Big win over Ottawa last night. (laughs) Austin Matthews is absolutely disgusting. That guy has the puck on a string. Uh, Okay, so SLGG Super League Gaming. Uh, Good find on this. Hell yeah, man. You've already made some good money on it. Awesome. I can't go into detail on this business because, frankly, I believe it's a disservice for me to comment on a business I'm just hearing about like this very second. So if you have some insight on why, why it's great, that's awesome, and you already have a very good attitude towards this, so I I can tell you're already on a good track. Um, they did double revenue last year. I looked on their website. They have a million active users on the platform, about 3 million users in total, so that's pretty cool. I bet you a lot of them are like unpaid users based on their revs. Um, I'm wondering why you'd use it over like a Discord, which has a very good market share. Again, I don't know this product, so this is just a bird's eye view, but I know Discord has a really strong foothold on that. I I think Microsoft is trying to buy Discord right now for $10 That was the headline earlier this week. So I guess the difference here is that it specializes in competitive esports, which is a very fast growing segment. I believe it's going to be bigger than real sports eventually, if it already isn't, honestly, because uh, there's a game called Dota 2, and there's an annual tournament, and they play for $40 million prize pool uh, in, in this tournament called The International. It's the biggest prize pool in gaming, and I think it's coming up soon, but that is that is wild. I mean, this, this is like a legit career if you're a pro at this i mean it's probably so saturated but this is this is happening and if you're not in tune with it you might think it's not happening but i trust me it's happening and twitch is massive people like watching video games um so it's just it's here to stay so it's going to be really hard to value this specific thing you're talking about it's going to be very volatile it's only 100 million in market cap Um, so do what you will with that information, but, um, good job, Andrew. That's, that's a good find. Um, one last point is that you're asking about other gaming companies. Tencent is looking great at this price personally, in my opinion, it's the largest gaming company on the planet. Uh, they own the unreal engine. Uh, unity is the other gaming engine it's way off the highs i've already had a good stock pitch on this podcast about that so there's lots of exciting opportunities in gaming right now it is a secular trend that i would definitely have a horse in the race and um yeah keep up the good work man honestly
3: yeah well put i mean i don't have too much uh, to add to there um i i that's aside from yeah it's in the uh, eSport arena and I don't know too much about eSports. I know generally what it is, but like Brayden, I couldn't really provide any value in terms of feedback. Um, I had a quick uh, look at the YouTube video with their platforms so it was interesting but uh, no congrats on the returns and it sounds like you've uh, you've done some digging on this company because uh, never uh, never heard of it before, but something I'll uh, I'll look into a bit more when I have sa- when I have a chance.
2: And I appreciate when people come up with some of these small cap names because you gotta really look for them. You gotta actually be actively looking for them, um, and that's a that's a hundred baggers lesson. Is you gotta be you gotta be actively looking for these things if you want to find them. So, uh, well done. All right, is this the last question? Last question from yep. Ryan.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, he's got a question here about ten cents and TFSA. So. Roll this one.
0: Hey, Braden. Hey, Simon. It's Ryan. Guys, I had a question about uh, Tencent and its TFSA eligibility. It's tax season, and I was going through just some of the eligible exchanges that uh, you can use in a tax-free savings account. And through my Questrate account, it looks like that Ten Cent is listed on PINX, which isn't listed on the CRA's website. I was just wondering if... As a holder of ten cent Braden, what your thoughts are on it not being listed on the CRA's website and whether or not you think it's eligible for your TFSA thanks love the podcast
2: yeah so speaking of ten cent from the last gaming company question um, I've answered this question a few times on the stratosphere community forum recently so oh this is a this is a there's a little tidbit of information on the on the government's website that changes everything so over the counter stocks are typically not able to be held in a TFSA or RSP but Tencent is an ADR that's listed on an eligible international exchange because it's listed in Hong Kong so this is an actual quote from the uh, Fed's website over-the-counter quotation systems, such as the OTC Bulletin Board or OTC Link, formerly known as pink sheets, in the U.S. are not designated exchanges. As a result, securities that trade over-the-counter are generally not qualified investments. However, over-the-counter can, securities can still qualify if they are cross-listed on a designated stock exchange, a.k.a. AKA Tencent meets that last little howar- however Point on the Fed's website, and you can hold them in your TFSA. Uh, now, since Tencent pays a very small dividend, that's probably not worth even mentioning, but they do pay a small dividend, so you're going to be subject to withholding tax on that in a TFSA um, because that's what happens when you hold international companies in a TFSA. But it's a small portion. And we've talked about withholding tax a lot. You can look it up, withholding tax. It's a tax on the dividend only on TFSA. And it is not going to be a big deal with 10 cent. I mean, what's the yield on Tencent? I haven't looked recently, but it's not. It's not a lot. So uh, don't lose any sleep about that. So th- the short answer is yes, you can. And uh, I think, you, is that where you hold it?
3: Uh, no, I with have it, it um, in my RSP. All you have in your RSP but uh, they typically have the same uh, very same I think it's pretty much the same rules in terms of eligible investments so uh but I haven't had any issues and something to add there's uh, there's actually a pretty famous case um, for a someone who made a killing their TFsa uh, do you remember hearing about that about Fannie Mae after the financial crisis that got uh, delisted and was on the um, I think on the pink sheets or over the counter. Um, and then uh, the person pointed out that it was also listed in Germany at the time. So they would have been eligible uh, for the TFSA. Yeah, I can't, like, I remember vaguely, um, I just, while you were talking, pulled up a quick article. So there's some
2: precedent set.
3: Yeah, there's some precedent like. set, exactly. Um, so it was, um, there's a really famous case. I think the guy had like done a, a killing, did like uh, half a million dollars or something like that. Yeah.
2: All right, that does it for this episode, guys. Thank you for listening. We have listeners from Greece. Hell yeah. Um, I just want to—I know it's in the uh, disclaimer at the end of every episode, but again, let's make this very clear. This is not financial advice because we are answering your questions. This is a opinion base only. This is what we would do. This is what we do do in our own portfolios. So, you know, do your own research, do what you think is right. Um, and hopefully some of the things you take away from this podcast will will help you make good decisions. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, summer's coming. So, uh, you know, go get some fresh air. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye bye.
3: The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simone may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions.